1: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Okay, you guys, we're already exhausted. (laughs) Well, I guess we should say welcome back to Killer Queens. You know, you've clicked on it, so you know something about it. If you're new here, hello. And welcome. And welcome. We are, if this is your first case with us, This one is a doozy and a half. You've picked a hefty, hefty case to start with. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Oh, and hopefully it's not gonna be stinky, stinky, stinky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know how like when you're going on a trip with your parents or going somewhere and they're like, shut up, go pee right now. We gotta go. We can't make any extra stops. We gotta just get there. That's what's happening today. Yeah, so you're probably going to want to go ahead and just try just try to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't want to hear the excuses about you don't have to go. Just try. Yeah, just because you didn't have to go then, you need to eke it out. That's what mm-hmm. we got to do. Yeah, because this is a huge case, and there's a whole other series about it called Culpable, and there's 15 episodes in that, and we're going to try please. and bust it out in two. Mm. Mm. So- Again, I know we've discussed this already. I'm not going to say that it's impossible. And I'm also not going to say that you're an idiot for thinking that we can. But what I am going to say is it's a beautiful dream and it's real sweet that you think we can. Yeah, you know, sometimes I've believed as many as eight impossible things before five in the morning or whatever that, you know You know what I'm saying? No. Really? You've never heard that saying? I have, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't remember it, but there. But you, you, know you ruined it. it. You get what gest. I'm thinking of is Mariah Carey. Ah! still believe someday you and me can do this in two episodes all right well let's see if we can live up to mariah's dreams and hopes and dreams okay Okay. All right. So this was requested by Diana Vineyard, Alyssa Crabtree, Elise Furrow, Paige Jones, Lauren McDaniel, Thigpin, Danny, Clem, Summer Parker, and Alyssa. Wow. The list of people who requested this is almost as long as the script itself. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you guys for requesting it. I have listened to every episode of Culpable. It was one of those that I binged the shit out of. Oh, my name's Terella, and I listen to how many things I've listened to. Okay. What I'm saying is Culpable did a great job. All I'm saying is quit bragging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're looking for Culpable level, you're not going to find that here. So just letting <laughs> you know that. But it's nice to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, definitely. So without any further ado, let's jump right in to the Christian Andriacchio case. Yes. All right. Before we jump into the case, though, we do just want to let you know that if you want extra episodes or since this is a two-parter, you're going to get part two immediately should you join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod for immediate access to part two and ad-free episodes. Every episode in there, ad-free. And we've got- yeah bunches of stuff in there. Yeah. And I mean, if that's all you want, I think that's a good deal. It's killer. You can get all of that for a low, low price. But if you wanted to go ahead and up to a different tier, you can get way more stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Three episodes a week at $10 a month. A buttload of stuff. Buttload. You could fit way more in there. You know what I mean? Easy. Easy. Okay. Now, without further ado, here we go. And thank you to Sloan, for the research and writing of this case. In the early evening in Meridian, Mississippi, on February 26, 2014, the 911 dispatch received a call from a flustered man who tells the dispatcher, we've had a suicide. So you can hear a girl screaming in the background and the dispatcher is like, you know, tell her not to touch anything, make sure nobody's touching anything. He's telling her, Whitley, get away. Don't touch anything. They don't want you to touch anything. Come back here. He informs the dispatcher that the now deceased man's name is Christian Andreacio. The man on the phone is Dylan Swearingen, and he says that Dylan has, sh- or I'm sorry, that he says that Christian has shot himself. So this call was made at 4:45 p.m. and by 5 p.m. officers arrive on the scene. Dylan meets the officer at the front door and directs them to the upstairs bathroom where Christian's body is still lying, slumped. Over the tub. And at first glance, the officers don't see a weapon. Just minutes after the first officer arrives, the EMTs and another officer arrive, and then the detectives and the coroner get on the scene. So the coroner starts doing his thing. He removes Christian's body from the apartment, and it's at this time that they find the gun. So there are so many, like, little nuancey things about this case, and it it helps to see like a, a reenactment or an image and you can watch, it was what, Crime Watch Daily? It was Crime Watch Daily. Yeah. The only thing that I was able to find on it unless you went to their website was if you go to YouTube, they have all five parts, but it's split up into parts, so. Right, okay, yeah. So we'll link to that, but it at least gives you that image. So Christian's gun was a Kimber 45, 45 caliber gun. It was wedged between his left thigh and the bathtub. So if you can imagine you are in a position on your knees, like you are maybe like gonna wa- uh, give your dog a bath or something. Mm-hmm. And then you your whole head goes face forward into the bathtub and you're just laying there bent at the hips mm-hmm. up against the bathtub. Yeah, and your hips are supporting most of the weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you're laying on it. Mm-hmm. And your legs are tilted to the right, aren't they? Cuz his knees are kind of folded and they're yes, slanted to one side. His arms are underneath his torso. Mm-hmm. And like kind of his arms are not outstretched into the bathtub. Right, they're like not pinned underneath him, but they're to his side. Mhm. Yeah. So they collect the gun that they've now found because they didn't find it until they move his body. And there's one bullet that was in the bathtub. And they did a gunshot residue test on Dylan, Whitley, and Christian. So that's the three people present in the apartment. And we'll get into who everybody is in just a few minutes. Dylan and Whitley were taken to the police station to answer some questions. But at some point before 6 p.m., the chief of police arrives at the apartment which is highly unusual, and tells everybody, wrap it up, this is a suicide, nothing to see here, move on. So this is 45 minutes that officials are investigating, quote unquote, this case, and the chief of police says, shut it down. Why in the world would that ever happen? Yeah, that's ridiculous. And they just, they have determined this is a suicide, which the coroner has not ruled that yet. The autopsy has not even been done, but they've said this is a suicide and we're not going to collect any, any more evidence or anything like that. By 6.30 p.m., an officer was en route to tell Christian's parents the terrible news that their son was dead from an apparent suicide, but his family would not accept this decision. And everybody that knew Christian was like, no, that's not what happened. And it would become the life work of his parents to make sure that Christian's case was not swept under the rug. Christian Shane Andriacchio was born on November 4th, 1992. He was the second child out of four to Ray and Todd Andriacchio. First was Josh, then Christian, Alexa, and finally Shelton. Ray and Todd spent the first years of their marriage working one or two jobs each and making ends meet. Meanwhile, the kids were living their best country life. They were outside all the time doing the imaginative things young kids do before technology. Terrell and I can definitely um, vouch for that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We played so many movies. Yes, we did. And made all the mud pies. And Mm -hmm. yeah, did some other things that were disgusting, but we won't go into. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Christian's little sister Alexa was the only girl and Christian was described as a second father to her. He was her go-to for everything from advice to help with anything. Alexa looked up to Christian and was glued to his side. Ray remembered a story about the boys watching over Alexa, but they wanted to ride dirt bikes and she was too little. So ever the problem solver, Christian locked her in a dog kennel and pulled her around tied to his dirt bike. I mean... He included her. He was still watching her. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a like older sibling thing to do, like and a boy thing to do. I feel like it's like, yeah, we'll just what's something that would get you involved but also might kill you. Yeah, exactly. Like what's dangerous but fun. Let's yes, exactly. Yeah.
2: Josh was also close
1: to Christian and the two spent a great deal of their time together as kids and both would go on to work on tugboats for Magnolia Marine. But they were also complete opposites. Josh was described as quiet and even a little shy, but Christian was not that kid. Growing up, Christian had done okay in school and was cooperative with teachers, but he didn't really like school. Teachers said that Christian did anything they asked him to do, but he was your typical boy. He was rambunctious, talkative, and impulsive. It needed to be moving and doing things. He loved to wrestle and ride his dirt bike. In fact, he loved dirt bikes so much that for his 16th birthday, he would ask for a dirt bike instead of a car. But more than anything, Christian loved the water. His family remember that it wasn't uncommon for them to wake up and Christian already be out on a water on a jet ski. He'd get out there by 5.30 a.m. and spend hours on the lake. Christian was described by almost everyone as magnetic. He was someone everyone wanted to be friends with and everyone wanted to be around. He was always happy, laughing, smiling, and was at all times living his best life. He was happy and smiling all of the time. (laughs) He was. There's like so many videos of him just like, dancing or like he was definitely not a kid that got embarrassed to do stuff in front of people. Like I would never, ever, ever dance in front of another person unless I'm super (laughs) drunk at the bar, but those days are over. But like, you know, just like doing a goofy, like, you know, dance or whatever, like he did not care to do that kind of stuff. (laughs) I wish I could be more like that. I know, me too. Christian was known as a fun-loving, loyal guy and his mom wrote on the Magnolia Sun site, that she created in his memory that he was a friend you would want to have your you would want to have your back. He'd fight for you when you couldn't fight for yourself. He was considerate and not one of those kids that was ever embarrassed to hang out with his mom. Christian and Ray went to concerts and movies together. She remembers that Christian often sent her pictures of the sunrise or sunset at different points along the route of the tugboat. He'd work on later just to share the beauty. Ray wrote that he had a particular fondness for harassing her and pushing her out of her comfort zone. She wrote that the family revolved around Christian's larger-than-life personality, his smile, his sense of adventure, his total disregard for norms, his need to hug and kiss and show physical affection so unlike most of his family. Ray said that Christian was a ladies' man and a flirt. She said it didn't matter if you were 20 or 80, he would make you feel like you were the only girl in the room. I know people like that. It's like, I do too. Yeah, they're just like that flirty personality kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's just an infectious personality, like mm-hmm. it's magnetic. You want to be around them. Yeah. While he was a good time guy, Christian was also a genuinely wonderful human being. He was known to stand up for the little guy and as a person who would give you the shirt off his back. He even grew up donating his outgrown clothes and shoes to kids who were less fortunate than him. Christian was also the kind of guy who would never pass on a dare and would do absolutely anything to make you laugh, especially when you were down. Their pastor said that you'd never find anyone who didn't like Christian. At his funeral, a young man stood up and told the Andriakios that Christian had always stood up for him in school. It also wasn't until after his death that the Andriakios learned about the old man that lived in their neighborhood that Christian used to visit. This man came by the Andriakio house and told them that Christian used to stop by about once a month just to check on him and see if he, there was anything that he needed. Ray and Todd had never known about this. Isn't that so sweet? (laughs) It is so sweet. It's so thoughtful and giving. I don't know, for a child. I mean, essentially, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he'd sit and talk to him for like an hour, just like shoot the shit with him and like, hey, let me know if you need anything. And he's only in town once a month. So he's making time for that. Yeah, devoting time to him to make sure that he's not lonely or that he's got everything that he needs. It's really sweet. In high school, Christian met Avery Smith Avery said that he came into the honors English class they shared, and she kind of started to crush on him right away, but she was certain that he didn't think that way about her. Avery was more of your standard kind of nerd who was focused on her schoolwork, and at first, she even tried setting Christian up with her friends. It wasn't until Christian told her to stop trying to push him off off on other girls because he wanted her that she got the hint. They dated for about five years and Christian became a part of Avery's family and Avery became a part of Christian's. Her family said that they 100% trusted Christian and knew that he was an upstanding guy. They even said that they knew for a fact that he would have died before allowing anyone or anything to hurt Avery. Yeah, and they said that they always considered her, like if she was with Christian, they knew she was safe. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, nothing would happen to her. And they trusted him implicitly with her. Polishantly I love it. He went on vacations with their family and vice versa. Avery's brother Kellen said that the kids called Christian Uncle Monkey or Uncle Monk. Kellen said that Christian would walk up and just snatch up the newborn to snuggle. What newborn? Hit Kellen's kids. Oh, yeah. Kellen had I don't remember how many kids, but they like viewed him as a as an uncle. Okay. Yeah, so he would just, he's very much, I mean, it just seems like there's nothing, there was not a whole lot wrong with this kid, you know? Like he Mm -hmm. loved children. He fit in with people's families. He wanted to make sure everybody was included and everybody was taken care of. Like just a sweetheart. Yeah. Christian was energetic and social and Avery was motivated and studious. Ray said that he brought her out of her shell and she kept him calm. When Christian was 18, he started a job on a tugboat. These boats traveled the Mississippi and Christian loved it. The job required that the crew work six hours on and six hours off and to live on the tugboat for their 30-day hitch. He worked on the same boat with Magnolia Marine for the rest of his life. Christian was a quick study of all the aspects of working on a barge, and by 20, he was a first mate. This was considered a rarity. You're never that young and that high up in the chain of command. Christian's only superior was the captain of the boat and a job that Christian himself aspired to. His ambition was to become the youngest captain in the history of Magnolia Marine, and he was well on his way. He was a hard worker and had no problem spending nine months of the year on the boat. Yeah. We're going to get into his, you know, relationship with Whitley and stuff. And in that aspect, he's a 21-year-old kid, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of immaturity in that relationship, but financially and professionally, he is incredibly responsible. Like, he very much was motivated in that job and he loved it and it was his career and he was so ambitious with that. It's amazing. He was remembered by coworkers as a great boss who was respected and always willing to help the newbies learn the ropes. Christian worked hard at home too and even helped his dad build their family home on the lake in Dalewood. However, Christian's life on the tugboat and Avery going to college to become a veterinarian was rough on the relationship. Christian would be gone for a month and when he was home for two or three weeks, he wanted to be with Avery, but he wanted to go out. He wanted to have fun. And Avery, on the other hand, was still the same studious girl who was dedicated to becoming a veterinarian. It became obvious that right now, the two of them were just better off apart. They broke up amicably and everyone thought that they would eventually get back together. Christian was still a part of the family to the Smiths and even after they split, Ray said Christian would tell her that he was going to live at their house until he was 27 because that's when Avery would be done with veterinary school and they could buy a house and get married. Ray jokingly said that Avery should have dumped him before now and she had no hard feelings toward Avery. Avery said that she didn't really try to reach out to him a lot after they broke up because she saw on social media that he had a new girlfriend and she didn't want to mess that up. That is incredibly mature of her. That would be so hard. It would be impossible for me. And I'm saying that just very self-aware. <laughs> I think that I would have wanted to, but at that age now, sure. At that age, I would have been like, oh, or like, like it and unlike it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I would have done something petty because that's who I was at that time. Like, I don't know if I could have been that mature. I know. That's, yeah, that would be really hard. Especially since they both, like by all accounts, they both saw each other, that they would get back together when she was finished with school, essentially. Well, yeah, it seemed like they saw each other as long-term, the the life that they had planned for each other, like they were soulmates, you know? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. going to happen for them. He was her lobster. Just... Exactly, do the claws again. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just, it's incredibly mature of her to not have yeah. thrown a bitch fit, because I totally would have. But let's talk about Christian and who he had been dating. And this is where Whitley comes on the scene. Mm -hmm. So Christian and Whitley met through a mutual friend and they quickly became a couple. Whitley was a few years younger than Christian. She was 16 when they met and he was about 20, but she lied and told him she was 18. You know what? Every good relationship is built on a foundation of lies and deceit. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she can't help that, right? And she's- She's a compulsive liar, so just get used to her lying about stuff. Mm -hmm. They were said to have kind of been like obsessed with each other, but they were also very toxic to each other. So they kind of go hand in hand all the time? Yes, exactly. Christian's best friend, Taylor Dial, said that he had known Whitley's family before he ever met Whitley, and he never saw her with the family. They just like essentially let her run totally wild. Whitley was beautiful with long blonde dreadlocks and a perfect smile. She had aspirations of becoming a cosmetologist and she was remembered by the same teachers who described Christian, but she was not remembered quite as fondly. She was said to always be in trouble and she even had an ankle monitor she had to wear due to truancy issues. The teacher remembers that once during state testing, Whitley's ankle monitor went off and they had to have her mom come down to charge it. At first, the Andreacchios thought of Whitley as sweet and meek and mild. She put on a good show, but that didn't last long after she moved in with them. So Christian had told his parents that Whitley had nowhere to go. She told him that her mom got remarried, they had kids, and they told her they no longer had room for her. And who knows if this was true. The Andreacchios felt bad for her. So since they're wonderful people, they allowed her to come live with them. So in the Andreacchio home, Christian and Whitley lived in the basement. It was basically his own apartment and he even had a door on the outside where they could you know, come and go. They had privacy and plenty of space, but Whitley still managed to wear out her welcome pretty quickly. Ray had begun hearing stories about Whitley from people around town and then started seeing some of that stuff for herself. And she started to question Whitley's character, her mental stability, and her intentions with Christian. She also started noticing that Whitley was always the victim in her stories and excuses. Ray had seen tweets of Whitley's that posed questions like, just woke up, what should I do first? Meth or bath salts? And other drug references all over her social media. And she was like, oh, I'm just joking. That's, you know, totally just a joke, whatever. That's not funny. No, it's a very weird thing. And and it's like all the time, like... Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. After a while, it's like, okay, there's got to be some truth to this. So, yeah. Ray and Christian had a tradition of going to lunch at O'Charlie's just before he left for his hitches. They went once and Ray took the chance to talk to him about Whitley and the relationship. And she was like, look, I don't trust her. You know, there's a lot of stuff I've been seeing. And Christian's just like, eh, you know, mom, this isn't serious. We're just having fun. Like, it's not like we're going to get married or anything. Don't worry about it. Ray started noticing that things would go missing from the house and that Whitley was blatantly rude to people like waitstaff at restaurants. She was just kind of like an all around. She's so, she's that classic, like pretty on the outside, but just horribly ugly on the inside. You like know, Vaughn from She's All That. Exactly. She's so Taylor Vaughn. (laughs) Whitley started doing manipulative things like calling Christian to tell him that Alexa was out smoking and riding around with people that she shouldn't. And Christian being the protective big brother would call Ray and tell her she needed to go get Alexa. And Ray would be like, what are you talking about? She's here at the house. Like just trying to get him away from whatever he was doing and get him back where she could keep tabs on him. Yeah, like control what he was doing and stuff like that. Whitley also went into Alexa's room and Ray and Todd's room without them being there and without their permission. Once she went into the master bedroom. Okay, so Ray is like sitting in the bedroom. Whitley comes in and throws this like picture down and she's like, that's what I think about that. And she's like, what are you talking about? Whitley had taken a picture out of a frame that was hanging on the wall of Christian and Avery, which... Ray had had up there forever and ever. And she had like stabbed their faces out of this actual photo hanging on somebody's wall and then brings it to Ray and is like, yeah, well, that's what I think about that. Okay, I've got a few things here. Mm -hmm. First of all, bold. Mm -hmm. Not your house, not your picture. Mm -hmm. Whitley is way too big for her bridges. Yeah. She needs to be put back in her place real quick. Mm -hmm. But also... Oh my God, Stalker. I know. It's and like, look, I get that it would be not fun to see a picture of your current boyfriend with his ex girlfriend hanging up at the family home. That's just something you can't control. Like, it's not Christian's, you know, in the basement, if there was a picture of him and Avery hanging up, that would be kind of. You know, you'd be like, hey, this is our space. I don't appreciate that. Or let's say like if he had a picture of Avery as is the background on his computer. Right. Or, I mean, even if you are there and, you know, you have lived there for a while and you talk to Ray and be like, look, you know, kind of hurtful that that picture of them is still up. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that's totally out of whatever. I mean, if you talk to them about it, to pull it off the wall and stab their faces out. Mm Mm-hmm. And Ray was like, something's wrong with somebody that does that. Like, well, yeah, because it's incredibly immature and a very, very big reaction to something. Like, it's just kind of crazy. It's crazy. It is. It is. But that's not even the final straw. Listen Mm -hmm. to this shit. The final straw was when Whitley gave Alexa some Xanax a child. She gives her Xanax. Alexa had never had a Xanax before, obviously, because she's a child. And she was passed out cold for a super long time. And the Andriacchios were like, okay, that's it. Because she gave her a Xanax and left her in the basement, just like went out and did her own stuff. And that's where they found her. And it's like, she could have had a reaction to that medication. She could have died. Mm -hmm. But you cannot give a child a Xanax. Like, you don't give a kid medicine without talking to their parents ever. Like, there's no reason Whitley would ever give her medicine anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, she's taken a page from Casey Anthony's book. Exactly, Zanny the Nanny. So Ray was like, okay, Whitley was very, very obviously jealous of Ray's relationship with Christian and Alexa's relationship with Christian, which again is batshit crazy because that's Mm -hmm. his mom and his sister. Like, Of course, he's going to be close with them. I mean, not everybody's close with their mom and sister, but he was. And it's an understandable relationship. Yeah. And she's, she's very jealous of that. She wants to be absolute number one. She doesn't want anybody else like taking her place. It's just like, it's just weird. I mean, they're very young, they're dating, like, It's not like they're married. You know, there's just no reason for her to be jealous of that. Like, she didn't ever want him do anything without her. So these, you know, lunches with Ray and Christian, not on her watch kind of thing, you know? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Standard manipulative, abusive behavior is to alienate people from their family and friends. And that's exactly what she started to do. Mm -hmm. So they ended up kicking Whitley out, totally understandably so. But Christian was like, well, if she can't, if she's not welcome here, then I'm not gonna be here. So they moved out. And I feel like this is a case of beer flavored nipples, man. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, as protective as he was over Alexa, normally that would be something where he'd cut somebody off, you know? Like, I cannot believe you you could have killed my sister. Like that's mm-hmm. so irresponsible. And he had a problem with her doing drugs all the time anyway. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. Or he had a problem with Whitley doing drugs, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, because I was going to say, Whitley was making up lies about Alexa, and then Mm -hmm. she went and did something worse than what she was making up about what she was doing in the first place. Yeah, but like you said, beer-flavored nipples, because nothing else explains it, right? Like, why would you allow this to continue? Exactly. So around that time, Christian's older brother, Josh, had been going through a divorce and he had an apartment in Meridian and he had a spare room and he needed a roommate. So Christian and Whitley moved into that room. And now Josh gets to see Whitley in all her glory. Mm -hmm. He said that she was a high school dropout and she was a partier. He said he didn't really pay attention to their relationship, but he knew that he and Christian had talked about her not really quote moving in, but just more like, staying there sometimes and it was supposed to just be when christian was home from his hitches like it's not supposed to be whitley's living there full time it's supposed to be she'll come hang out a lot while i'm here for a couple weeks yeah but of course whitley ended up moving in totally and josh ends up kind of becoming her babysitter when, when christian's on the boat he said he didn't really talk to her he just kind of kept watch over her at christian's request so while Christian is off working on the boat, Whitley is in Meridian spending his money, driving his car, living in his apartment without working or going to school or taking medication, all of which she's supposed to be doing. She takes plenty of medication, just not medication she's supposed to. Hmm. And when neither Christian nor Josh were there, the apartment was the party apartment. So all the while, so she's like, you know, because Josh is on hitches now too. He's working on a different boat. So they're gone for a good bit of time. And so she just treats this like it's her house. And there's just, it's party central. Who knows who's there? Who knows what's going on? But she's in constant contact with Christian on the boat when he's gone. And when Christian was home, he and Whitley didn't go out like he used to. Again, alienating, you know, Mm -hmm. when he was home before he used to go out and, you know, that's when he would see his friends and spend time with people or see his family. Well, now he comes home and he and Whitley just sit on the couch and play Xbox. They don't go anywhere. They don't do anything. They don't talk to anybody pretty much. Neither of them had been faithful in the relationship. So the trust was pretty much gone. It was said that they were both, quote, fantasizing and had an immature mindset about their relationship. At one point, Christian got fed up and asked Josh to buy an at-home drug test. And he told Josh if she failed to kick her out, which is like a super weird position to put your brother in. Uh yeah, definitely. Cause it's that should be that should be Christian to do that. Uh yeah. That's and I get that he wasn't there. But again, like that's what we're saying. Like there's a lot of immaturity when it comes to this relationship. Like they were just not a good match at all. Mm-hmm. They brought out the worst in each other. So Josh buys it. He tells Whitley that Christian wants her to take it. And she's like, well, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to fail it anyway. And he's like, well, what are you going to fail it for? She's like, weed. So Christian's like, well, if she knows she's going to fail it for weed, then tell her to take it anyway. I want to be sure that's all she fails it for. And she took it and she did fail. And she failed for like everything under the sun, especially like benzos. So Christian knew, again, that she was lying and that she wasn't just smoking weed. And so Josh was like, okay, well, you're kicked out. I mean, that's what he said. And he was like, she just put her stuff in a black plastic trash bag. And he was like, she had no reaction. Basically, like she knew that as soon as Christian got home, she'd be back. So she's just going to find somewhere to stay for a week or whatever. So Christian gets back. She promises him she's going to change. And she moves back in. And everybody was like, for whatever reason, Christian had a blind spot for Whitley. He just gave her The benefit of the doubt all the time. His money bought her clothes, makeup, a car, and anything else she wanted. And Christian was making very good money and had told his mom that he planned to retire at 40 and move to Jamaica. But at this point, he's supporting himself and another able bodied adult. So it's like that money is not going to go as far as you're planning for it to when Whitley's just sitting on her ass, bleeding you dry. Exactly. So at one point, Christian starts asking about putting Whitley as his beneficiary on his life insurance. And Mm -hmm. he'd only known her for less than a year at this point. But like, okay, here's the thing. Like Ray talked about how he normally wouldn't have even been worrying about life insurance, but he had fallen off the boat earlier in the year or something like that. So Part of that job, I mean, it can be a dangerous job. And part of that is like with that company, they will pay for your life insurance. You don't have to pay for it. But, you know, just in case you get hurt and something happens, you know, to your family or that way you can take care of your family. And when he got the policy, Ray was listed as the beneficiary and then Avery was listed as the second beneficiary. And Whitley was obviously fucking pissed about that. She did not want Avery, or Ray to be listed as the beneficiary. So she starts telling Christian that she thinks she might be pregnant. And she's like, what if something happens to you and we're going to have this, like all this baby and the baby won't be taken care of. You need to make me the beneficiary of your life insurance. Mm -mm -mm. So manipulative. Hearing that, yeah, just like to me just says like, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, It just... Because that's the motive in a ton of murder cases. Yeah, yes, exactly. And like, they're not married. They're not even engaged. She was not pregnant. She never was. She's a known liar. Uh Uh-huh. She, You know, she's just making shit up, trying to get him, She's trying to sucker him in or whatever. Like, I mean, that's just how she is. She just, she's always making stuff up. But she's also very money hungry. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want to work. She doesn't want to do anything but just sit around and get high all day. So this life insurance policy, you know, I mean, that could definitely, like you said, be a motive. Mm-hmm. Ray, Todd, and Cheryl all believe that Whitley assumed the insurance policy had been changed, but Christian never did change it. So it's possible that he told her he was going to. I mean, he did. He did consider it too. So he probably did tell her that he was going to. We just we don't know for sure if she was under the impression of that or not, but right, we think so. Christian's brother, Josh, remembered that Christian and Whitley were on the outs near the time of Christian's death. Josh encouraged him to break up with her for good. And the drug test incident had been during Christian's most recent, most recent hitch. And Josh encouraged Christian to follow a plan that he told Josh about of leaving Meridian and moving to Jackson without Whitley. He's like, you have got to drop her. She's bringing you down. Like, mm-hmm. get out of here. Leave her in the dust. Move on with your life. And he he's telling people that he's planning on doing that. Right. That's so important. Let's, let's talk about uh, the few days before the death of Christian. Mm-hmm. So February 25th and 26th, 2014, Christian had boarded the boat for his most recent and final hitch on February 22nd, 2014. Josh was on another boat for his own hitch that started on the 7th, leaving Whitney home alone. Christian was overly concerned about Whitley's activities when left to her own devices and was tracking her phone. They both tracked each other's phones, which yeah. I've heard of people doing. Yeah. I like I almost got to that point with the guy that I lived in California with, like not tracking his phone, but getting one of those keyword mm-hmm. or keystroke, keystroke. things. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't allowed to use the computer if he wasn't home. And I knew there was like shit going on. And then I was like, that's crazy. If I if I don't trust him this much, I've got to break up with him. Like, Right. That's telling. Exactly. Your relationship. Yeah. He was also texting Josh about how awful this relationship was. And he was ready for it to be over. He called her over and over five times between 5.16 on the 25th and 12.50 a.m. on the 26th. And he'd call one more time at 7.15 a.m. And she continuously ignored his phone calls and his texts. And that's important too. Like keep that in mind because when we get to Whitley's statement later, she's gonna lie about that too. Just- Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure at this point you're not really surprised about, but yeah. He kept calling their friend Dylan Swearingen to try and get through to Whitley. Dylan had been in constant contact with Christian as well as Cheryl Stanley, the boat mama, and said that Christian's phone went off nonstop. Whoever it was would not leave Christian alone. Ray said that it was like he was being baited to come home and take care of the situation. Yeah, definitely. It's like they're trying to make up a reason for him to get off the boat. Yeah, you need to come home. You need to take care of this. Yeah, right now. It's gotta be right now. Then Christian received a call from Dylan that Whitley had been driving his BMW around with another man riding shotgun. Christian needed to handle this right now, but he's on a tugboat on the Mississippi River somewhere near Louisiana. You can't just leave the boat. People are dependent on you and you literally can't just leave the tugboat. (laughs) Yeah. And you never run on a barge. No, never, never. The only opportunity to get off of the boat is when it makes a stop. So, Christian has to first come up with a reason compelling enough for him to be let out of work for a while and to be let off the boat. Then he has to figure out how to get home since his car is back in um, at a marina in Mississippi. Christian had been talking about Whitley's nonsense for the majority of his hitch, and his boat mama Cheryl was well aware of the drama. Christian woke up on February 25th, and he was talking to her and told her that he had to get off the boat because his mom had kicked out his dad and his little sister, and they needed to get into his apartment, but the landlord wouldn't let them in without Christian being there. This excuse worked on the captain, but Cheryl told Christian, I was born at night, but I was not born last night. Yeah. Like, come obviously, that is a crock of shit. Yes. <laughs> like, come yes. on. Yes. He told her what he had told the captain. I'm going home to take care of stuff and he'd meet them at another dock the next day. This would be just a brief pit stop to get something handled and then he would be back at his job that he loved by 5.30 the next evening. Christian called a friend he'd worked with, Justin Burns, around midnight on the 25th to see if he could come pick him up in St. Rose, Louisiana and take him to Meridian, Mississippi. Justin had agreed but then just before he was gonna leave his house, Christian called him and told him not to worry about it. He got another ride. Christian had tons of friends who would happily make the drive to pick him up, but he didn't call them. He could have probably called Ray and told her the plan, and she'd have driven to Louisiana with a smile on her face and packing supplies in the trunk to help kick Whitley out of her son's life for good, but Christian didn't call her either. Instead, Christian called Dylan Swearingen. Yeah, he did. Okay, so... Who the fuck is Dylan Swearingen? We've said his name a lot, but we need to figure out who exactly he is. So Dylan grew up with Christian, but they weren't really friends. They were just acquaintances. Dylan was closer to Whitley than he was Christian. So Dylan and Christian started hanging out once he started dating Whitley, but they didn't hang out really before that. They just knew who each other was. Dylan was a known drug user and just an all-around sketchy dude. He was the kind of guy who hung out at home all the time getting high. So he and Whitley are like two peas in a pod there. Mm -hmm. Taylor Dial said that Dylan was bringing Christian down. Taylor likened Christian and Dylan's friendship to the old saying, you are what you eat. You know, you just become the people you surround yourself with. Well, and I feel like too, I remember in cosmetology school, my cosmetology teacher She was concerned about some of the people that I had befriended in school. And she was like, you lay down with dogs, you're gonna get fleas. Oh yeah, that's a good Mm -hmm. one too. Yep, exactly. So Ray referred to both Dylan and Wentley as leeches. They were partners in crime and used Christian for his money. Dylan had even wrecked his truck and Christian paid for the damage. Like they are, whatever it is that they're doing, they are very good at either like tugging at Christian's heartstrings or whatever. But they are bleeding him dry. So he's not only supporting Whitley at this point, he's kind of supporting Dylan too. hmm Which is insane because these are, like we said, two able-bodied adults. They just don't fucking feel like doing anything. Right, because that would get in the way of their raging drug use. Yeah, so... Dylan was not a great friend to Christian, but for some reason, Christian called him over everyone else to drive to pick him up. I think it's because he'd gotten the intel from Dylan that, you know, Whitley had been driving around with this other dude. And I think he wanted to get like all the information. I think he wanted to talk to Dylan about what was going on. Like, tell me what she's been doing. Tell me what's going on. Because Dylan's yeah. the one who told him everything. Yeah. And so the perfect he, time to be able to do that would be in the car drive on the drive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so back to the 25th, 26th. So Christian and Dylan had spoken in the early morning hours, one thirty seven a.m. And by 3.45 a.m., Dylan was driving to Louisiana. Christian talked to Ray on the phone at 7.43 a.m. on the 26th while waiting for Dylan. He told her that he had to get off the phone, but made absolutely no mention of getting off the boat. Ray recalls having a typical conversation with him and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. She says that this conversation keeps her sane because she wishes... They had been in a better place in their relationship since they were so strained over Whitley. But this was a regular conversation and he told her that he loved her at the end like he always did. Dylan arrived at about 8 a.m. and said in a statement to police that Christian was coming to his car while peeling off his blue work jumpsuit. That work jumpsuit has not been seen since the, um, yeah. the death. Curiously. Once he was in the car, Christian told Dylan they had to go because he left without permission and security was after him. The two men pulled off and stopped by a gas station to fill up Dylan's tank on Christian's dime, no less. Mm-hmm. And the trip back to Meridian was just about three hours. They arrived at Meridian at around 1130 a.m. And after 1240 p.m., there was no more activity on Christian's phone until 344 p.m. After Christian gets off the tugboat, the only people he sees and talks to are Dylan Swearingen and Whitley Goodman. Between them and the police arriving on the scene after being called to a suicide, all we have to go on are the statements of Dylan and Whitley that were given to the police. Okay, so get on your like detective hats and like get out your handy dandy notebook. Like yes. just pay attention to all these little details and also go ahead and get whatever it is that you're gonna be thrown out the window. I think now is the time to gather that shit up. Yeah, just to be like, mm-hmm ready for it. I think pre- preparation is key. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you don't want to get to a place and have nothing to throw out the window. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the car, you know, throw shit up. I mean, don't litter. No. Don't litter. And don't throw your notebook because you're going to need those notes, but you do need the notes. Yeah. So anyway, just, just think about it. All right. So after the 911 call, the officers who arrive on the scene, like we said, investigated for 45 minutes and then they were like, okay, this is suicide. Bye. One of the weird things about this, as explained by the private investigator for the Andriacios, uh, his name is Max Mays, is that the police on the scene don't ever make a declaration of the cause of death. And they definitely don't do it on site in 45 minutes. I mean, they may have an idea, you know, but they're not going to declare it. I think if I was Max Mays in this moment, I would, because he's got that very much like Southern man's voice and he whistles a lot when he says his (laughs) S's. And he not like, if you are a patron, not like Baguan. No. But he does whistle when he says his S's and I wish I could do it because it's just, it's kind of one of my favorite ways that some people talk. But anyway, keep going. (laughs) Another... Thing is, that the police chief was the one to call it off, which, you know, Max was like, I've been in law enforcement a long time. I've never seen that happen. You know, the case is the responsibility of the lead investigator. The chief of police doesn't just show up off duty, no less, just show up and be like, hey, put an end to this. It's mm-hmm. that's just very strange. Mm-hmm. So, like we said, Christian was found with his head in the tub and his feet outside the tub. He was laying over the side of the tub, you know, with most of his weight on his hips. His hands were outside of the tub as if they were by his side, and he fell forward onto the side of the tub. There was a bullet hole in the wall on the other side of the bathroom by the light switch, and there was some blood spatter. However, the only bullet collected was inside the tub, and the gun was found wedged between Christian's left thigh and the tub. And the officials did a gunshot residue test on Christian, Whitley, and Dylan. And then Whitley and Dylan were taken to the police station to give their statements. And we are going to get into, in part two, break down all of that information. Why is it important that the bullet was in the tub? What about the blood spatter? Like, we're going to get into all of that. So just think about it or put a pin in it. Yes. So Dylan's statement is going to be a lot more detailed than Whitley's. I cannot even believe Whitley's statement, but. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's do Dylan's first here goes nothing yeah Dylan said Christian called me at 1.37am asking if I was able to come pick him up in St. Rose, Louisiana at a docking bay that his barge had stopped I told him yes that I could pick him up he told me that I needed to be there between 7.45 and 8am I left my home at 3.45 to 4am on my way to get him we exchanged a few phone calls just to touch base and he would ask me where I was and how far I was from the landing area After a couple hours or so, I finally reached the destination that he was at. I called him when I arrived and he said, give him a few minutes. He came down the hill where I was parked and removed his blue jumpsuit he wore for his work. He said he had left without permission and security of the place along with the sheriff were alerted, but he decided to leave. I have no conclusion on whether he was able to leave or if he just left by self-choice. After we left the destination, I picked him up at we talked like we always have. Nothing was out of the ordinary. We stopped at a gas station and got us some drinks and he filled my truck up for coming to get him. As we pulled out and got back on the interstate, he began to tell me that him and Whitney were having relationship issues. I think it hurts my heart and my soul to (laughs) have this many grammatical errors, but okay. Yeah, it's really, it's difficult. The issues were regarding another boy hanging out with Whitley while he was gone and he then told me that This was the reason for him coming home. Then we continued our route to Meridian, just talking and listening to the radio. We pulled into the apartment complex that he was living at. He noticed the BMW he bought for Whitley was there and he walked in. He began asking her where she had been because they have a tracker on each other's phones. She spent the night at the boy's house that Christian mentioned earlier. His name is Matt Miller. After asking her multiple questions regarding what she had done, she mentioned the usage of Xanax. She was not sure of some of the activities they participated in. He blamed Xanax for not her not knowing. I stayed upstairs a majority of the time due to I didn't want to interfere with their argument. I stuck my head over the stairs at one moment and heard him saying over and over, do you love me? After a few times of asking, he pulled his gun out and cocked it and stuck it to the side of his head and asked again, do you love me? She said yes, and he tried to grab the gun away from him. After a while, things calmed down and we watched a movie. I asked him if he wanted me to go get some food and give them a moment alone. He gave me his debit card and said, go get some Chick-fil-A and take all of the money out of his account. (laughs) I asked him if he was sure and he replied yes. Okay. Okay. Okay, asked, Yeah, exactly. Like, that's uh, random, but believable. It's believable. Okay. Sure, yeah. He also broke her phone in an earlier argument. I told him I would take the phone and see if they could fix it. I got the food, and he provided me with the banking information, and they said, as he was the account holder, he would have to withdraw the money. But he wrote, "withdrawal the money. Withdrawal. It's so yes. hard. Yeah. I came back, and everything was fine. We watched another movie. I noticed... They were leaving, and I said, where are y'all going? He replied to take a little ride. I fell asleep and woke up around two hours later. Whitley was asleep, and Christian was sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette. He acted normal, and I said, I'm about to go to Best Buy and look at speakers. Do you need anything while I'm out? He replied, no. At an earlier time, after I saw him point the gun to his head, I took the gun from him and placed it behind the curtains because he was acting very aggressive. As I left, I told him I hid it due to his actions and I gave it back to him and told him, unload it and please don't touch it. As I left, I made it to Best Buy and talked to the car audio technician. As I walked in, I noticed he wasn't on the couch and I walked around the apartment calling him but got no answer. I walked up the stairs and noticed the bathroom light was on so I figured he was taking a shower. I knocked and said, are you all right? Still no answer. So I walked downstairs and walked into the room that Whitley was sleeping in. I told her that he didn't answer me and that we need to check on him. She went back to sleep and I walked back upstairs and knocked once more. I asked aloud again, Christian, are you okay? He didn't respond. So I opened the door and saw Christian laying face down in the tub with the blood in it. I yelled, Whitley, Christian is dead. We have to call 911. And she screamed and ran upstairs and began holding him. Then I called 911 and directed them to the apartment and the police arrived. And then they took control of the scene and asked us to sit in the living room. And all of that was basically one run-on sentence. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so what about Whitley's statement? Also, hang on. They get to Meridian at 11.30. His phone has no activity from 12.40 to 3.44. He called 911 at 4.45, was it? Mm Mm-hmm. It was between 4.45 and 5. Yeah. So... He says during that time, they've watched two movies, slept for a while. He went and got food and came back. They had this like big fight where Dylan's just hanging out. Doesn't the timing not add up on that? Unless you're watching like um, a Tom and Jerry movie or something, you know, where it's like an hour <laughs> long. Like, Yeah, I mean, those that's little a lot things. of movies to watch. In a short span of time, and he slept for two hours in addition to the two separate movies. And aren't we talking about six or seven hours now? You would think. I mean, there's absolutely no way. Also, him coming into the house or the apartment and calling out to him, and Whitley's still. Unless I mean, she must have been passed the fuck out. She was on Xanax, I'm sure. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy to me. I don't know. None, a lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like the timeline doesn't add up. And then also, he's taking he Christian's takes the gun. Uh huh. And he's taking Christian's debit card to go buy the Chick Fil A. But he's going to take Whitley's phone to go get it fixed, and he's going to go to Best Buy to buy these speakers. And he doesn't have any fucking money. Mm-hmm. Like, what money is he going to buy all that stuff with if he can't even get the Chick Fil A? Yeah. Exactly. I wish we had the Chick-fil-A receipt. Do they get two meals or three? Right. (laughs) Because I I feel like they got two meals because Christian was dead already. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll never know. All right. So Whitley's statement. Saturday the 22nd, also the day Christian left out for work at 5 a.m. That night I went to, this is also a run-on sentence pretty much. That night I went to a Mardi Gras party with my family. He stopped talking to me starting at one the day he left for two more days. He has always had trust issues. And when I eventually got in touch with him, he said he'd rather me be at home missing him and didn't want me going out from past issues we had without him. I contemplated breaking up with him and tried to convince myself we could work things out because a relationship without trust isn't a relationship. And we tried for so long to build up trust and be normal, but I love him. (laughs) Last night, the 25th, he said he was coming home and quitting his job. I told him we could talk it out, and there were some things we needed to work on before we could move on with our relationship. Today, he came home and early, and he wanted to take a ride with me. We went to Bonita, and he said he just felt like between me and his mom, he couldn't make anyone happy. I said, laid down with my dog in our bedroom, and Dylan, the guy who picked him up from work, woke me up. I went upstairs and found the love of my life face down, swooshed up into a puddle of blood. I can't even with her grammar, but I think it's very interesting. I'll use the word interesting that most of her statement revolves around like, well, but I really love him and I'm really trying to work it out. And I almost broke up with him, but I didn't because I just love him. And like, a relationship isn't even a relationship without trust, and like that has not. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Like you're, it doesn't. That they didn't. They didn't say, hey, can you give us a statement about wh- how you feel about your relationship with right Christian? Yeah. So there's no details almost from the day of. It, she doesn't mention what Dylan said, where he put the gun to his head. She doesn't mention mm-hmm. any of that. She just says. I took a nap with the dog, which also we never hear anything else about the dog, which is weird. But I took a nap with the dog, and then I wake up and he's swooshed up in a puddle of blood. The love of my life. Jeez, oh, it's just ridiculous. <sighs> yeah. So then they need to notify the family. And at first, like, The family didn't believe it was Christian because as far as they knew, he was on a hitch. Like, they're like, he's on a boat. He's not here. You've not found Christian dead in his apartment. Like, you found somebody else. Mm -hmm. But they end up, you know, confirming that, yes, this is in fact Christian. And they were just like, look, he killed himself. Like, so sorry to let you know that, but he did. And everybody was like, no, no. No, there's no way. And you know, we say this all the time. You cannot know what's what's really going through somebody's mind. You can't really know how somebody is feeling. A lot of people are surprised when a loved one does die by suicide because they they a lot of times did not realize it was, you know, not to bad. that point. Yeah. But everybody was just like he loved life. Like he wasn't he never Talked about being depressed. He never, it, he was looking to the future. He was planning on, you know, he told his job, I'm going to be back 5 30. Yeah. Well, and let's just say that everything else looked 100%. Everything else pointed to suicide. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that kept them from being like, this is absolutely not, he didn't do this, was because he loved life. You know what I mean? Like, if, Their gut feeling of, and everybody's gut feeling of, he would never do this. he loved life too much. Mm -hmm. That was the only indicator that it was not a suicide. Right. That'd be different. Exactly. Yeah. But there is so much that indicates foul play. And Mm -hmm. Ray did also say that there was somebody in the community who had died by suicide and it had really bothered Christian. And after that, he had told her several times, if anybody ever says I killed myself, you come looking because I wouldn't do that. So, you know, kind of a morbid conversation to have. But when somebody says that, I mean, it's like when you hear cases of like, if anything happens to me, check out, you know, this person or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, there's a, I don't know, there's something going on there. But, you know, everybody, like the news gets around to everybody. Avery finds out she freaking is absolutely devastated. Kellen, her brother, finds out. And his, his thing was, he was like, look, if this had really happened because he said when he found out when they said it was a suicide he said bullshit who killed him but he said if Christian had done that he's like I don't think that he would but if he had he was like Christian was so dramatic he would have made a production of it it would not have been by in himself in a bathroom, when a bathroom. No one was in there yeah yeah you know he was kind of an entertainer and I'm not trying to say that you know that like you're not being dismissive of what happened or, you know. Yeah, they just, this is what his friends and family said that, like, he would not have, and, you know, he wouldn't have kept that to himself. He talked to people about stuff, and, you know, it was just a thing that they believed it would have been a bigger deal. He would have told somebody or something like that. So Josh was on a different boat near New Orleans when he was notified by his captain. And he said that he didn't believe it to the point that he just went back to work. Like he was just like, no, that didn't happen. I mean, I don't know. So they just- That's pretty telling. Yeah. And um, Josh finally gets picked up, like he gets off the boat and his uncle Chris picks him up and they go back to the apartment because remember the police are totally done with this apartment. Mm Mm-hmm. It's fine. They've, they're they done investigating. It was a suicide, nothing to see here. And when that happens, it's the family's responsibility to clean everything up. I mean, I guess it is, once they're done with whatever they're gonna do, the family has to clean everything up anyway. But- He gets back home and he said he was absolutely shocked at the state of the apartment because he said that when he left less than four weeks before that, it was spotless. But now there were cigarettes and empty beer containers everywhere as if people were just like dropping things as they walked around. I mean, it was awful. And there were holes in the wall other than the bullet hole and Christian's mattress had huge knife slashes in it. So crazy. It almost sounds like Pazuzu, what is his name? Yeah, Pazuzu, Pazuzu's house. Like, it's just like there's so much. It's just disgusting. It's like a dumpster. Yeah, exactly. So Ray had called her brother Chris Thompson. So that's Chris that picked up Josh, and she's like, "This doesn't sound right. Something doesn't sound right." And she asked him to go to the apartment and see what was going on. So he goes to the apartment. He said, "There's crime scene tape up. There's officers at the door." He's like, look, this is my nephew's apartment. I heard he was dead. And they're like, look, I can't tell you anything except there was a death in the house. If you want to find stuff out, you got to go to the police department. And he's like, dude, just fucking tell me like what's going on. And they're like, got to go to the police department. He's like, fuck it, fine. So he goes to the police department and they confirm that it was Christian and that they had found his ID in his pocket. They're like, no, we know it's him for sure. So he goes to the police station and he wants to talk to somebody. And the officer came out and said, look, this is a suicide. And he's like, I don't understand what's going on. He's supposed to be on a boat. Like, I don't even understand why he's here. And that's when he found out that Whitley and Dylan were there being questioned. So Ray is like, you need to get the keys to Christian's BMW because Whitley will try to take it. And you need to get his phone. I don't know where his phone is, but we need to get his phone. So he asks the officers, where's his keys and where's his phone? And they're like, we don't know. We don't have them. And he's like, well, will you ask the people that are there? They should know where they are. And they're like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure where they are. So he drives back to the apartment. Because they're like, you can go look around the apartment if you want. It's probably still there. And he's like, that's a crime scene. Like, I don't want to walk around that. So he walked in the apartment and he goes like up the stairs but he ended up like he sees the bathroom upstairs and he's like, eh, I don't know. Like, I don't want to step in anything. Like, they're going to come back and investigate this. They're going to figure out something else is going on. I don't want to mess anything up. So the he goes back to the police station and, you know, they had already asked Whitley and Dylan where the phone and the keys were. And she gave the keys to them at that time, but she said she had no idea where the phone was. So then he goes back to the police station and he's like, they know where the phone is. It's not in the apartment. So they ask Whitley again, hey, we know that you've got his phone or, you know, kind of put a little pressure on her. She pulls it out of her purse, sitting in there in the room with them. She's had it the whole time. Mm-hmm. the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> I was waiting on you to do that. I know. So she's had it and she's like, oh yeah, you know what? Like, oops, here, here we go. And Chris is like, that's a huge red flag. Like she's lying about so many things, right? Like she's lying mm-hmm. to you right now about whether or not she has the phone. Don't you think that there's something going on here? Yeah. And the assistant DA at the time, Cassie Coleman, who's now, I think she's still the DA, she said, my personal opinion is that she didn't want the phone to get in the hands of law enforcement because there were a lot of sexually oriented photographs and messages on that phone. Oh, bullshit. I know, total bullshit. And the Andriakios have not been able to get into the actual phone. They've tried multiple passcodes, but they, they can't get into the phone themselves. So <sighs> they don't know. But the police did take it and download it the contents of the phone, they've just never been able to get into it. Mm -hmm. And the family just assumed, you know, the police, the law enforcement is going to do their job. Like, they're going to see that Whitley is lying and they're going to look into this because there's something else going on here. We -hmm. will definitely find out what actually happened, right? Right. Okay, so during that time, though, there's going to be a funeral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have to say their goodbyes. And I just cannot imagine I cannot imagine having to plan a funeral for your child. Mm -mm. I just cannot. And of course, everybody, you know, has great things to say about him. And Ray had brought some street sign that Christian and his friends had found somewhere. And, uh, you know, a long time ago when they were hanging out doing stupid shit the boys do, I guess. And like everybody signed it and she has it hanging up in his room now and his dirt bike's in there and, you know, all this stuff. And, They also kept a dollar bill frame that Christian had always kept and written the dates of his promotions on because, you know, his job was just super important to him. And once they got through, you know, that, that saying goodbye, and I I still feel like they've never really been able to grieve because they've had to be on this like crusade to be like, something happened to my son. He did not kill himself, but they, you know, they were able to at least grieve a little bit. Mhm. And say goodbye to him, yeah. Yeah, and say goodbye, but they were you know, they're right back to we've got to take this on because the police aren't doing anything. So they mm-hmm. have to do an investigation themselves and what they find out is absolutely bonkers. Mhm. But you're going to find out what that is next time. Yeah. So if you want to wait a week to get part 2, that's totally fine. Yeah. No big deal. No big Everything's deal. fine. If you are part of the Patreon and you are a patron of said Patreon, you're mm-hmm. going to get it right, right now, right now. It's ready, waiting in there for you. And if you're not mm. a patron yet, you want to join, get part two right now. It's uh, our every single tier gets early access to part two, so you don't have and to ad do free. yes and ad free. So as little as three bucks a month, you get part two right this very second. Right, and like we said, if you wanted to go up a tier. There are plenty of goodies you could get upwards of as many as three episodes a week for a low, low price of $10. So, thank you so very much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, guys. We have some new patrons to thank before we head out. We've got a Hey Girl Thanks to Honey. Desiree. Cecilia McCluskey. Courtney Tennant. Uh, well, this says, How are the Savage Denier? Yeah, Looks like it might be Victoria. So, yes. hey girl, thanks. <laughs> Sorry if I messed that up. Jess. Kelly Bishop. Sarah. Lindsay Boss. Cheryl Miller. Sigridur. Einard Dautier. Okay. I know we have talked on Instagram and I'm so sorry. I don't, I'm not sure how to say your name correctly. Heather S. Katie Rivas. BX Wanda. Mike King. Kate Brown. Emily Colson. Caitlin P. Austin Reels. Tracy Weaver. Emma Crimmins. Kelly Search. And Yalitza Soto. Oh my God, thank you guys so much. We love you. Yes, and we're sorry for butchering your name. Yeah, so sorry. This was not our best name pronouncing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much all the same. We love you so much. Yeah. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye.